0: Good morning, church. Morning. It is great to be with you and be able to sing with you and open up God's word together. So if you got a Bible, I encourage you to turn or click to Romans, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. For those of you who are guests Have the joy of trusting that the Bible is God's word, and so we allow God's word to dictate uh, what we teach and preach. And so we've been going through this one book in the Bible, the Book of Romans, now for quite a long time, starting at the beginning, trucking our way through. We find ourselves today um, in uh, Chapter 10. Last week, uh, Pastor Ajour preached a wonderful sermon uh, for Easter. Sunday before that, he preached a sermon on Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. So today's sermon will be from 4 to 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 4 to 10. But I'm going to read in its entirety Romans 10, 1 to 10, and then I will pray. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Word of God says this, brothers, sisters, church is his point, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is the Jews, his fellow kinsmen, according to the flesh, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear the witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge because being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end or goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes for Moses And in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Let's pray. Father, I trust you more than myself. I trust your word and its power by your Holy Spirit to change our lives. And so humble us, I pray. Humble us. Make us ready to receive. just ask that we would be ready, make us ready for a powerful movement of your Holy Spirit. You say this, that the gospel is your power for salvation. So I ask that your gospel power would go forth and change us all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. text. I'm excited about it. Here's the deal. What's the goal? What's the goal? Let me flesh this question out. A person wanting to run a half marathon or compete in an Olympic running event has to begin with something before they compete or before they try to run a half marathon. Step one. Foundation. It begins with form, okay? Here's a picture of all the bad forms that you can have in running, okay? So when you go to run, you don't want to look like these individuals, okay? The first one might be affectionately called the cheerleader, which is your heels don't need to be almost touching your rear end when you run. The only person that that should happen is if you're cheering on a sideline for a sporting event. But when you're running, your feet do not need to be coming up so high that's bad form. Okay? You don't want to be that. second person that you look might be called the giant. That is the one who runs, and you can hear them coming a mile away. They are not light of foot. They are heavy of foot. And all you hear is pound, 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 because that's how they run. It's really bad on your joints, and yeah, don't be a covert agent if you run that way. But what you want to do is be light on your feet. Third person. This is maybe called the unicorn. That is, animals in the horse family, they love to take big strides, okay? This is not what you want to do when you run. Long strides are essentially like putting on the brakes when you run. So you don't want your feet to get so far out ahead of you. It's really bad on your joints, etc., so it's a bad way to run. The last one might be the shuffler, the one who does not pick up their feet but just shuffles from place to place. This is usually what happens if you're running a long event and you're towards the end of it. You can barely pick up your feet, okay? Or maybe for some of you, that's how you start an event because you're tired at the beginning Form matters, but form is just the foundation, especially if you're running a marathon or you're running an Olympic event, you must have conditioning. You must run and exercise. You must get the heart rate up. You must extend the length of which you can go. You don't start running 13 miles for this half marathon. You start running a few, and then you just add on and you add on and you add on because you need conditioning. Form is a foundation, but then you've got to use that form, exercise that form, which is conditioning. But that's not the end. Because look at verse 1 He says Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them Is that they may be what? Saved Zip down to Romans chapter 10 Verse 9 When he says If you confess with the mouth Jesus Lord Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead You will be saved Yeah, a little quiet So you have another opportunity Verse 10 For with the heart one believes and is justified With the mouth one confesses and is saved will be preaching and we will hear these words of verse 13 everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be So Christ having been offered once To bear the sins of many Will appear a second time Not to deal with sin Because he already did that In his first coming But to save those Who are eagerly waiting for him Jesus is going to come again To complete this work of salvation Is it wrong to say I was saved when I was 6 I was saved when I was 45 No not at all But the story now is not the end of the story. It's a deposit. You've been justified, declared not guilty, and yet you will be justified. We've talked about this, where you are being sanctified, you will be sanctified. All things are already, and yet they're not yet full. So when we talk now, Paul is saying, what is required for salvation? He's speaking of what does it mean to make us right with God? How do we, what's the goal? Get Jesus. Now let's use our analogy of running. Form was the foundation. Conditioning was the means. But the goal was getting in the race, right? The goal was completing the half marathon. It was. Participating in the Olympic event to get the prize. So, when the Bible says, How can you be saved? You see three things faith as the foundation, confession as the means, but those aren't the end. Jesus as the goal. It's not enough to just believe. Or confess, if you don't get Jesus, that's not salvation. To get Jesus is the goal. So we're going to look today: Faith as the foundation, confession as the means, Jesus as the goal. Let's start with the first one. Faith as foundation. Romans chapter 10. Let's just summarize verses 1 to 4. He's just finished speaking about the Jews who have rejected their Messiah. And he says, I just long for them to know Christ. I long for them to be saved. So we find him in verse 1, he just says, church, my heart's desire is that the Jews might be saved. And he goes on, and he says, I bear witness that they have a seal for God. But not according to knowledge. They've got a passion for God. There's an aggressive going after God, but it's not according to knowledge. Well, how so? What do you mean? They are ignorant of the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means they're actually seeking to establish their own righteousness rather than leaning on the righteousness of Jesus. So they're ignorant. They've got a passion. But it's an ignorant passion. And it says, and they did not submit to God's righteousness. I don't know if you ever thought about this. But the seeking to work your way into God's acceptance is a failure to submit to the very God you want his acceptance. The striving. I can't do this. Is actually rejecting God's very words. It's not submitting to God. It was, a, it was a failure to submit to God's salvation plan. Why? Because them doing the law was proven over and over that they could not do it. Verse 4 tells us that the goal of the law is Jesus. Jesus for righteousness the goal of the law to everyone who believes. And now Paul is basically going to say let me explain this to you just a little bit. The word for in the Bible, when you see the word for, it either means because or let me explain this to you. And so verse 4 comes up and it says they totally rejected God's ways because they rejected the Messiah. They rejected Jesus as righteousness. He was goal of the entire Bible, That's right. and they rejected him. So let me explain to you how the Bible tells us that Jesus is the goal of the Bible. That's what he's going to do. And how the Bible paints two pictures. This picture of a righteousness based on your own doing. Righteousness based on the law. And if you can do the law perfectly. You will be saved. You'll have life. Note to self. <laughs> if you read almost any page. In the Old Testament. You will see. That could not happen. No one. Everybody has violated the law. And they cannot be saved. By doing good things. So there's another way of righteousness. A righteousness of faith. And so this is what he's teaching us. Look at verse 5. It says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. Now, when he refers to Moses, I think now he is... Trying to cause our eyes to look at the first five books of the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's called the Pentateuch. It's this, the Torah is another way that it's talked about in Jewish circles. And so you're looking at these first five books, and he's saying in the first five books, it teaches us about this righteousness that is based on the law. And then he goes, Paul does here in verse 5, and he quotes Leviticus 18:5. That's what these words are when he says, quote, that the person who does the commands shall live by them. That's a direct quote from Leviticus 18.5. So he's saying when you read your Old Testament, we can summarize this righteousness becoming right before God. We can summarize that, this righteousness by the law, with this verse, Leviticus 18.5. If you do the commands, you'll live. Do some of them. Do most of them? Do some really well that others know? No. You've got to do them perfectly, and you will be righteous before a holy God. And what the Old Testament shows every single human on the planet violates God's law. We couldn't do it. What does Jesus say? Summarizes the whole of the Old Testament. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Just take a poll here. How many of you have done that perfectly? You've loved God with all your heart. Never a stray thought. Never a lustful thought. Never wanting to trade God for something else. With all your strength. Never leaning on your own strength. But solely leaning on the supply of God. How many of you have perfectly succeeded in love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Not one hand will go up unless you are completely delusional. I mean that in the nicest way possible. (laughs) And then it says, love your neighbor as yourself. You and I, we love ourselves. Even those who say they hate themselves, they still love themselves. We love ourselves. How many of us have perfectly considered someone else better than ourselves? Perfect all the time. None of us have. This is the righteousness based on the law. Do that and you will live. And when I speak that way, if anybody has a spiritual pulse at all, you will feel crushed by the weight of that commission. I just can't do it. There's no way. It's too much. And what happens is as I'm talking you can even rehearse some of the ways this week you have fallen short. It's crushing. That's why we're really glad for verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith there's another way. Thank God there's another way. It's a righteousness that is not coming out of doing the law, but it's coming out of trust. Belief. Belief in someone other than yourself. If you see that, like, doing the law is a leaning on you. doing Believing is trusting in someone else's doing. And so, here now, he begins to speak. But the righteousness-based He's going to quote Deuteronomy 30. So follow me. Moses tells us in Genesis, that's the fittest numbers of Deuteronomy. He tells us there's a righteousness based on the law and there's a righteousness based on faith. The first one is totally crushing and no one can do it. So the second one is our only hope. And that's why, let me just hit rewind just a little bit. Verse four, Jesus is the goal of the law for righteousness. You are supposed to feel at the end of yourself and as you read the Old Testament there is a longing for the coming Messiah whom we now know as Jesus. Now faith talks. In the the Old Testament, in the New Testament faith talks. How does it talk? Well, when we used to live in Minnesota we had some, some worldview collisions and I remember when we go to the grocery store, and we were looking around for buggies. You know, where are the buggies? And they have no clue what you're talking about. Some of you might not know what I'm talking about. When you grow up in Tennessee sometimes, and you go to the grocery store, you're asking for a buggy. In Minnesota, you're asking for, oh, you're talking about a shopping cart. Yes, that's right. Okay, (laughs) so then we go into the airport, and you hear somebody yell baggage claim, and I said, what in the world is a bag?" and I, I don't get that, What? Is, oh, you mean a bag, oh, okay, baggage claim, okay, don't you know, you know, they're just, rounder. I want to go to counseling, you know, everything is changed up there, and so, it's just like, okay, what you can do is now, when I hear accents, there's, there's something flips, and I'm like, are you from Minnesota, Wisconsin area? Or, you know, someone says New York, you know, or Boston, you know, and all of a sudden you can like, you're not from around here, are you? You came from there, right? Okay. Yeah. Or if you, you know, you're really got a Southern twine, like where are you from in the deep South, you know, <laughs> fixing to, you know, these kinds of, this is everything that we say kind of tips us off to where we're coming from. And that's what Paul's saying here. Faith talks a certain way. It talks a certain way, and when you hear it, you know it's faith. How does faith talk? Well, in true Pauline fashion, he first tells us how faith doesn't talk, and then he tells us how faith talks. Faith says, do not say. (laughs) You see that? It's like, here's how faith doesn't talk, and then he'll tell us how faith does talk. Now, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up. He is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, I just want to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 14, so you can kind of see. Remember, when we run into Old Testament, in the New Testament, we want to go back to the Old Testament to understand its meaning. Because that's filling up the bucket that we're reading here in Romans chapter so, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, it says this For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. Now, why would he feel the need to say that? Because I've just told you the righteousness based on the law is too hard. It's too hard. Everyone, with any sense of awareness, I cannot do this. You're asking me to do something I cannot do. It's like me asking you to bench press 500 pounds. Even if you wanted to with all your heart. Yes, I want. You can't do it. You get down there, the bar comes off. You know, it, it, it chokes you. But now God is speaking to the same people who know they cannot do the righteousness based on the law. And he says, for this commandment that I command you is not too hard, and neither is it far off. Verse 12 of Deuteronomy 30. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that they should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. This is what Paul is pulling from here in Romans chapter 10. But let's just just sit here for a second salvation is only sweet if you think you need it. If everybody comes in here thinking they aren't needing, then Jesus will not be sweet and precious. What's the problem God is seeking to solve in Deuteronomy 30? There's a to God by their performance. There's a people who are in despair because God seems too far off. The more they run to try to get to him, the further he feels because they cannot be good enough. So have you ever felt like, quote, being perfect is just too hard? Have you ever felt that way? I just can't do it anymore. Everybody asks around me for me to meet their standards. I just can't be perfect anymore. Sometimes you transfer that to God. He wants me to be perfect. I just can't do it anymore. I can't do it. It feels unattainable. That's the language that God would be using. It feels far off. I can't reach it. Sadly, what happens in legalistic churches is they tell you a message that you are saved by grace. But right after you get in the door, then you've got to keep yourself going. And so what they give you is law to obedience. Do this. Why don't you do it? It's crushing. Come to church. Read your Bible. Be a kind parent. Be nice to your spouse. Be ethical in your job. Do this. And then when you face all these things and you're overwhelmed, it feels too hard. It feels too far off. Some just want to give up. I keep messing up. I keep failing. Law to obedience is like trying to lift a semi-truck and put it in a parking space. You were never meant to go from one to the other. The gospel is law to Jesus to obedience. The gospel is not, there's no commands. The gospel is, there's commands, and you must be perfect to meet them. Yet, you can't. So Jesus is the goal for righteousness. He came. He did it perfectly. So that if you trust in him, now he comes and lives inside of you so that you have all the supply you need to do what he calls you to do. When people call you to do things without reminding you of the supply, you will be crushed. We miss Jesus, sometimes even in the church. But Jesus is the goal of everything. It's not law to obedience. There's no power in law to obedience. The power is in law to Jesus to obedience. He will come and we know now that he has come. He is our righteousness. Jesus is our hope. But some of you take the same type of pessimism not just under the banner of I can't be perfect anymore, but I don't think I can turn my life around. When the problem of Deuteronomy 30 make sure you're following me. The problem of Deuteronomy 30 is It feels too hard. Getting to God feels unattainable, unreachable, too far off. Not only can we despair because we're not perfect, but we can despair because the sin that we find ourselves in feels so dominating, there's no way out. A life turned around feels too hard, unreachable. The addictions seem too strong. The lust seems impossible to overcome. The procrastination seems like it will always be a ball and chain around your neck. The fear and anxiety feels too suffocating and like there will never be a way of escape. Your weaknesses seem so large that it seems like God will never be able to do anything with me because i so weak. My life cannot be turned around. It's just too hard. It's just unreachable. This is the problem that God is seeking to address in Deuteronomy 30. And that's why it's such refreshing words when you read Deuteronomy 30 verse 11. And God says this, for this commandment people. how faith talks because Jesus has already come down. Heaven has already come to us. The abyss or the sea, the sea in the Old Testament is regularly a place of death. How am I going to fix death? I've got to try to fix this. No, Christ has already been raised from the dead. He's come to us. That's Christmas been raised from the dead that's Easter do you trust that that's how faith talks not leaning on self but leaning on the fact that Christ has already come and so Romans 10 8 says this but what does it say if that's not how faith sounds that's not somebody from you know Southern Alabama sounds, but it's not how somebody in New York sounds. Well, how does faith sound? Faith sounds like this. The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. Here's how faith talks. Jesus is not far off in heaven. He has come down. Faith doesn't say, Death has won the victory. Death will get the final word. Faith says, Christ has overcome the grave. And he lives inside of me. This is how faith talks. How in the world, how in the world can God say in Deuteronomy 30 verse 11, this isn't too hard, it's not far off. This is why reading the context of, Of the Old Testament passage that fills up this New Testament quote is so important. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. I want you to hear these words. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. Right before he said, this is not too hard for you. How is it not too hard for you? Because God promises a new covenant promise. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. And the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And then in verse 8 he says, And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. What's the answer for the soul that is crushed by the righteousness according to the law? What is the answer? It is God coming to us. To the heart that can't fix itself. And him coming and circumcising. Doing heart surgery on our hearts. Giving us a heart of flesh. Rather than a heart of stone. And him coming and living inside of us. That's why the word is not far off. It is near. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You have all the supply you need now. To do everything he has called you to do. It's the gospel. It's good news for the weary. It's good news for the crushing spirit. For the one who feels like they've got to do it. No, Christ has come and he has done it in your place. For the one who feels like the life can never be turned around. I'm always going to live in defeat. I'm always going to live in anxiety. He says, no, look to the resurrection. Christ has come up. He's alive. This is how faith talks. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 tells us that this is the new covenant spelled out in the Old just footnote. Those are not the same thing. The Old Testament is not the Old Covenant. What Paul is showing us here is that the Old Testament teaches the Old Covenant, which is try to be strong enough to do all the law, And it'll it will crush you. But the Old Testament also teaches us the New Covenant, which is God must change your heart and you must trust in the Messiah alone as your righteousness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. That's how you have hope when it comes to living for God. That's right. You couldn't do the external law, so God in his kindness has come and taken the law and placed it on your heart. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit... Living inside of you, giving you all the supply you need to face all that you will face. How does faith talk? Well, here's the question Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus has come, not leaving us alone? Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus is God made flesh? Dwelling among us, tempted in every way that we were, and yet he was without sin. So Jesus is our righteousness. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus came to suffer on the cross in our place? He was the sufficient once for all payment for our sin, and in so doing, he demonstrated that he loves us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus was punished by the Father and for our sin so that if we trust in Him we will never be punished eternally and never be left alone again do you believe it? do you believe Jesus rose from the grave to demonstrate His power over anything that scares us and over anything that we feel like is stronger than He is do you believe that Jesus is alive and therefore more powerful than anything you will face do you believe it? do you believe that Jesus left us on this earth so that he would never leave us by giving us the spirit of Christ to dwell within us so that Jesus is always with us. Do you believe that the word is near us? It is in our mouth and in our heart. Do you believe? If you say yes, this is how faith talks. It's the accent of faith. It's when you hear those things, it's like that's faith, that's belief. It's not how well did you do last week. It's do you trust him? Do you trust Jesus as your righteousness? Jesus is the goal. He is the supply. Dear friends, all you need is Christ. Fear can betray us. When fear begins to dominate the heart, it is a sign that we are forgetting. We are forgetting what God has done. Fear, many times, can just be, I'm not sure you're at work right now in my heart. I'm not sure that you love me. I'm not sure that You're going to give me the supply that I need. This is how fear talks. Faith keeps pressing before us that Jesus is enough. You have given me a new heart. Therefore, I can do all that you have called me to do. So when we are trying to walk with faith... And we get afraid of what's coming in the future. I love this quote from Paul Miller. This is how faith sounds. He says, The great struggle of my life is not trying to discern God's will, it is trying to discern and then disown my own will. It's trying to see when, and I practiced this yesterday. I looked at my list of things that I wanted to accomplish on a Saturday, and it was insane. And what I felt in that moment was the anxiety level rising. And so my initial response, and I'm not proud of it, was, no, I can manage my time better. I can work harder. I can go faster at this task or this task. I can be more efficient, and I can get it all done. That's leaning on Sean. And you know what happened? The more I did those things, the more I realized I wasn't going to get it all done. The more anxious I got. And then, in God's kindness, trying to meditate and reflect on this text, I stopped. And it was like, how does faith talk right now? And I literally was like, Father, Father, with everything that I need to do everything that you've called me to do. So the likelihood that everything on my list is what you have called me to do, that's pretty low. What would you have me do today? I wasn't even asking that question. But I stopped and I was like, okay, Father, what would you have me do today? And then Love began to well up, and it was like, okay, what is most loving here? What is most loving here? Let's just do this, and then I'll do what is next. And I believe that you will give me what I need to do what you've called me to do. And so each and every task became something of a journey of faith to say, okay, now that this is done, Father, what are you going to give me now? What, what's next? And I did not get everything on my list done, not even close, but my heart was at peace. Because I trust Him. Faith is the foundation of salvation. Faith is how a Christian walks. But confession is the means. If faith is the gas, then confession is the car. It's the moped. It's whatever you use to get from A to B. And so, what is this word of faith being talked about? This word of faith that we proclaim in verse 8, he now explains it to us. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is alive. Confess that. And you will be saved Look at these words Confess With your mouth Jesus is Lord Confession many times in Christian circles Means confess what? Sin. Confess your sin Now That's not what he says here Although I think it's the flip side Of the same coin To confess Jesus is your Lord It means This relationship, this possession, my will is not Lord. But I think far too often we do not confess our faith. We just make confession of sin the goal rather than confession of faith. And honestly, that's not even the goal. The goal is Jesus. It gets us to Jesus. So, confession with your mouth. Why did he say that? That's over against confession maybe with the heart or with the mind? Confess with your mouth. There is a principle in the scriptures, a biblical principle that out loud brings healing. Out louding. mouth confession with your mouth listen to how david talked in psalm 32 for when i kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my strength was dried up as by the summer heat why because he was silent what opened the floodgates Verse 5 I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. He said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Out loud to the Lord brought healing. Out loud changes the hearts. Obviously, it can get perverted that you do things out loud in order to be seen, but let's don't let the perversion uproot the principle, which is, God has ordained that out loud brings healing. That's why the Psalms are written down. Writing is a way of outlouding. Psalms are outlouding. That's why in James chapter 5, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. It's out loud. And God does something with the articulation. Not only does he take a distracted mind like mine and focus it when you say it out loud, but God brings healing. And what are we confessing? We are confessing that Jesus is my Lord. He's my King. He's everything to me. This is not Swiss cheese Jesus, which is so common today. I want most of him, but the parts I don't like, I'm going to pick out. So you got holes in the cheese. I'm not a huge fan of Swiss, but I can take it. This is Jesus' Lord. You take him for who he says he is. You don't get to pick and choose what you like. When you say Jesus is Lord, it means I want what he wants. I pray over my kids at night quite often. God, may we love what you love and hate what you hate. I want want what you say. Whatever you say goes for me. This is why salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 Jesus is our only hope. Believe. Confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Belief can be just mental assent, right? And so I think that's why he adds, not once, but twice. Look at verse 9. Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. And look at verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified. He wants our hearts to be engaged. It's not absent of mind, but it's more than the mind. It's believe in your heart. And the heart is why the Bible uses other words to describe saving faith. What are some of those other words? Like trust. I trust you. That's belief. That's saving faith. Or I fear you. I fear you. I I revere you. Or I treasure you, which is why we actually name the church what we named it. Rather than believing Christ Church, it was treasuring Christ Church because there is an affectional component to saving faith. And so another way that he would talk about it would be love God. Love Jesus. Saving faith is also, I want to live for the glory of Jesus, glorify Jesus. All these are synonyms for saving faith. But when God changes your heart and he opens your eyes and you see the beauty of Jesus and you embrace him, that embrace is not a work in and of itself. Faith is better described as a receiving all that God is for us in Jesus. Hear that again. Faith is not a work in and of itself, faith is receiving. Which is another word for saving faith. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And be saved. Receive him. Who is this good news for? The good news is for anyone who feels like they need to be made right with God. Do you feel overwhelmed by your life? you feel helpless in being able to overcome sin? Do you feel that you are ungodly? You're not like God? Then this is good news for you. It's good news for you. If you are self-righteous, if you believe that you are good enough in yourself and you only have doing the law to lean on, and this gospel is not for you, you must repent of that self-righteousness. Repent of your smug good deeds. Repent of the haughty gaze at broken people. Self-righteousness must repent and say, Jesus is Lord and I. Saving faith is I surrender being my own Savior. I surrender leaning on my own abilities. I surrender being smart enough. I surrender being good enough. I surrender being lovely enough on the outside. I surrender being better than somebody else enough. I surrender all of these things. And I believe Jesus is Lord. And I believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead the grave does not have the final word and therefore he can grant eternal life this message is for you today, do not wait confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart treasure him, trust him that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved rescued set free Charles Spurgeon says this the law is for the self righteous To humble their pride. But the gospel is for the lost. To remove their despair. I want your despair removed. Your hopelessness encouraged. I want wind blown into your sails. I want the burdens that you came here in with. To be cast at the feet of Jesus. And for there to be a likeness to your walk with God. Because these next words are pretty precious. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Declared not guilty in the courtroom of God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Here's what I don't want you to miss. Confession is not a one-time thing. It's a present tense verb. I was mowing yesterday, one of the many things I was trying to get done. And as I was mowing, I felt anxiety rise up in my heart. And you know what I did? I confessed that Jesus was Lord. God, you're Lord over this moment. You're Lord of my life. You love me and you proved it at the cross. You are Lord. It didn't make me justified in that moment and save me for the first time. No, that happened when I was six more than likely. But it's a confession that fellow believers have once, twice, 40 times a day. Jesus, you are Lord. And I believe you are alive. And you are greater than the thing that is overwhelming me right now. I just invite you in to a regular life of confession. A life that confesses Jesus is greater than your sin. And a life that confesses Jesus, you're my Lord. You've got me. You've proven it on Calvary. You've proven you can overcome whatever I'm afraid of, whatever seems to defeat me. And so I invite you who are weary this God. Try to fix yourself up, you don't understand the gospel. Jesus, mysteriously enough, is friend of sinners. Be honest. Maybe for the first time, I'm a sinner. i jealous. I lie. I covet. I cheat. I lust. i anxious. I everything. I'm a sinner. And I trust you. To give me everything I need. And dear friends, if you have faith as the foundation and confession as the means of constantly exercising that faith, then you get the goal the experience and the reality of connecting you to Jesus. Confessing rightly is not the goal. The goal is that when I was mowing with grass and I said, Jesus is Lord, there was this connection between me and Jesus. I got an experience, a fullness of his Holy Spirit in ways that I didn't. If I did not confess him in that moment, I got Jesus. And so, dear friends, remember verse 4. Old Testament tells us Jesus is the goal for righteousness for everyone who believes. Our passage today was explaining that verse. And if you have faith, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved, rescued into the arms of Jesus. And you are pardoned and welcomed everyone. Father, I ask in this moment that we would trust that Jesus is our righteousness. We would trust that Jesus is our Lord. We would trust that Jesus is interceding on our behalf right now. We would trust that Jesus is our greatest need that Jesus you cover us you are over us you are for us and you are in us Father please I pray we would rest in Jesus and this is what we get to do at the Lord's Supper every time we take it it is a confession of both sin and faith that Jesus is Lord It's a belief in our heart that, God, you raised Jesus from the dead.